Okay, praise the Lord. Good morning. Good to see everyone. Um, it is a joy to be in the house of God. One week's just too long. You know that? It really is. I grew up going to church three times a week. And uh, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. And I have to be honest, sometimes Sunday to Sunday just kills me. Uh, but um, I'd love to be in the house of God, in the presence of God, with the people of God. Hallelujah. And so uh, we're going to look at the Word of God together. And we want to turn... Actually, our text is going to be in Exodus 34. But can you also find um, Solomon, Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 8? So if you could just... We'll make reference to Song of Solomon first in a minute. Now, I want to preface what I'm going to speak about this morning. And again, because I don't want to just mention these things and come across uh, too severe, because really what I want to talk about is, um, is, must be understood in the context and the sphere of God's love. Okay, that must be in our minds as we consider what we're going to look at this morning. I mean, we spoke about the depth of God's love, how great, how vast and all of those things and we can't comprehend the love of God in that sense. But I want to consider with you the strength, just how strong that love is. And so when I say the strength of that love, I want to consider an attribute of God's love. And um, uh, when, you, when you first hear it, you might just, it might just kind of confuse you for a moment. But I want to look at the, the, the attribute of God's love, which is the attribute of jealousy. Jealousy. And really, as I, I mean, I've, again, as I studied it through again and as it was quickened as I was reading what is going to be our text in Ezekiel, I mean, sorry, Exodus 34, um, just how much of a positive attribute this is. It is a good thing. It is pure. It is holy. And when we understand the jealousy of God as it is rooted in his love, his strength, the strength of his love for you and I, and uh, we begin to understand the dynamics of how God works, how he operates, and why he does what he does. And it puts things into perspective for us so that we can have a proper understanding. Otherwise, people just see God as, as irrational, indifferent, and you know, just kind of um, um, you know, angry, and then happy and you know uh, all these extremes so how is it all this connected to his character his nature and so this is some of the things we want to consider this morning God's love the jealousy of God that is a positive thing see the context of a God who so deeply and passionately loves us this morning uh, is, is at the centre of what we want to consider and I don't want us, as we look at this, to think of a God who is somehow wrathful, uh, irrational and angry even though those are attributes, uh, uh, not irrational but of course, but in terms of his, uh, his wrath and his anger, they have their place. But nevertheless, again, they must be understood in his, in his holiness, in his love and in who he is to put them all into perspective. His love is marked by holiness. God's love is marked by righteousness. God's love is marked by truth. And it is in that context 
that we must understand these things. There we have someone knocking at the door here. We'll have to let him in. Anyways, we'll uh, get our attention back in just a fraction. I'll just wait because it is a bit of a distraction. But a good one. <laughs> Welcome. Come on in. We're just getting started, so you came at the right time. God bless you. So, as we uh, consider what we will this, this morning, the, uh, the jealousy of God or this aspect, this attribute of his nature, I want us to see it in the Bible itself and we're going to track through various scriptures right through the Old Testament, well, through in the Old Testament and into the New Testament that gives us a consistent, a consistent understanding of who God is, how God operates and why he is who he is and, and does what he does. And so in doing this, I want to lay a foundation and it's found in the book of Song of Solomon. So if you can turn there and go to chapter 8. Now I want to read this before we read our text because I want this to lay the foundation so that you can begin to see what we're talking about and what we're dealing with in relation to this. Now in chapter 8... In verse number 6, we find these words, and this is the Shulamite speaking, remember the word of God inspired by his spirit. She says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave, its flames are flames of fire. A most vehement or vehement flame. Now think now let's just stop. I'm going to read it from another translation. I didn't know which I didn't mark down which one it was, but let me read it anyway. It says, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. Its jealousy is enduring as the grave. Love flashes like fire, the brightest kind of flame. Now what we have here is a picture of God's love and jealousy here is being associated and connected with and is another term for, for love and we must see this in the context of God's love this morning and it's being described for us for love is as strong as death. It is, uh, it is jealousy is as enduring as the grave. There is a, the, the strength of this and love flashes like fire the brightest or the brightest kind of flame or a vehement flame. And really this typifies, the, we're looking at the strength of God's love and we're looking at it in the context of understanding God's love and with the association of his attribute of jealousy. And so you must understand God's love for us, how strong his love is and why he, uh, and why he does what he does and he is jealous for his people. He is jealous in such a way that we will see it in scripture. One man said jealousy here is another term for love, expressing the inexorable force and ardour of this affection which can neither yield 
nor sheer position of its object. That's God. He will not yield nor share possession of his object. He is jealous. And we, amen, are his object. We, his people. God loves us with such a deep love, with such a strength of love. And, that he, uh, uh, and so therefore, because we are his. And we have to understand that. And we want to see in the scripture that jealousy, the jealousy of God is a pure thing. It is good and it is holy. So let's read from Exodus chapter 34. And I've chosen this portion of text because obviously of what it's going to reveal to us. We read from verse 10. The Bible says, And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvellous or marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst." But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and play the harlot with their gods, and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice. And you take of his daughters for your sons, this is intermarriage, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no moulded gods for yourselves. See, God is giving them specific instruction and warning about his expectation. And it is uh, obvious, for obvious reasons I have chosen this portion of text. But you see, the word jealous, is, this is not the first time in which it appears. You'll be familiar that back in Exodus 20 when God uh, gives Moses the Ten Commandments, we find even there that uh, uh, the reference where in, in verses 4 and 5 God clearly speaks and he says, uh, um, uh, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image, again related to idolatry, any likeness of anything that is heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And so again we're finding this, this reference. God is clearly stating, I'm a jealous God. And in our text he's saying, my name is Jealous. And he's making it abundantly clear that, they, that his people uh, comprehend and understand this, especially as they go forward into the land that obviously he's bringing them into. You see, we have also, what I want to do is establish the context of the text that we've, uh, we've just read as well, because we have in Exodus 20 the giving of the law and God setting forth these things through Moses. 
But you know the story that later on Moses is up on the mountain, he's still receiving instructions on the, on the, temp, uh, on the tabernacle that uh, is going to be built and so he's away from the people for a long period of time and so they become restless, they say, oh, I don't know what's happened to this Moses, he's disappeared and they say to Aaron, listen, make us a god. And so that's how we, we come into the, uh, the golden calf, they all put in their jewellery and you know, Aaron just kind of throws it in the fire and this thing just somehow appears. You know? And so they begin to worship and they begin to practice idolatry. They rise up and play and they begin to conduct themselves in a manner that angers the Lord, provokes him to anger. And so we have this and you know the story, Moses comes down, he sees and observes what's happening and he, he takes the tablets, he throws them and, and they break and, uh, and all of a sudden God's wrath is released amongst the people and uh, they go out and uh, they go and uh, kill one another and there's 3,000 people that are killed in that moment because of their idolatry and their actions. And then Moses begins to intercede and you can see this in <coughs> verse, uh, chapter 32, uh, 31, 32 especially where Moses is before God and he's pleading for the people because God, is, he wants to wipe them out. He wants to consume them in his anger or as a result of his jealousy and his love for the people they have violated uh, through their idolatry. And so Moses intercedes and he says, listen, God, if you're going to blot them out of the book, then blot my name out as well. And God says, listen, those that have sinned against me, I'm going to blot their name out of the book. But then again Moses intercedes further and he pleads with God and he says, God, have mercy upon them and forgive their iniquity. Don't destroy them and consume them. Uh, I know, you know in light of what they've done and God calls them stiff neck and so forth but it, Moses has success with God and God forgives them. And then we pick up our text in verse 10 where we read and God is renewing the covenant with the people. So he says, okay, well this is, I gave you the Ten Commandments, this is what you've done and now I'm going to reiterate this and he renews the covenant with the people. And he, say, and he warns them again, he says, be careful because if you go into that land and you begin to commit idolatry and serve their gods, he says, beware. Because I, my name is Jealous. I am a jealous God. Now, let's picture this. Is God just really angry with his people? No. You see, Israel is a privileged people. God has set his love and his affection upon Israel. He's, he's delivered them from slavery. He's performed marvellous signs and wonders. He's demonstrated his mighty hand. He's entered into a covenant with the people. And so they are special. They are privileged. God has set them apart. He's poured out his love upon them. He's purchased them as his own possession. And therefore, you're mine. And therefore, I am jealous for you because I have made you mine and this is what I expect from you. Now is that unreasonable? Absolutely not. But that's what it's rooted in. It's rooted in the love of God. The reason why God is a jealous God is because he loves his people and in the nature of his love and his character and his holiness and righteousness we find this expression of his attribute of jealousy. <clears throat> you see God's not a vindictive God. He's a holy God. He's a God of love. And what we must understand and what's clear from, from Exodus 20 in our text is God hates idolatry. And we see this even in carrying over in the New Testament later. 
But this is very serious. And so God has made himself clear. He's a jealous God. His name is Jealous. And so think about that in light of what we've read before in the Song of Solomon where it says that his love is the most vehement flame. His, the, his jealousy is as strong as the grave because, we're to God, because God has set us as the seal of his heart. When we talk about the new covenant, we talk about the church, we talk about you and I as his people that, have been, uh, uh, that are in Christ Jesus. And so we have, we have become a, a, a people that are privileged, that are blessed. And God has set his seal upon us. And we are sealed upon in him. And we find all of these references. And so therefore, the, the love of God towards us is strong. And the jealousy of God towards us is strong and it's pure and it's holy. And we need to understand that. God will not yield or share possession of his people. And that relates to Israel in the Old Covenant and still it relates to Israel in the overall purposes of God and it relates to the church which you and I are a part of. And it's in light of this that God demands our obedience. That's why God will say the first of, of all the commandments is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul and strength. Because that is exactly how God loves us. And he expects nothing less from us in light of that. And failure to, to love God in the manner in which he requires and failure to obey God in, according to his word will provoke the Lord and uh, in some cases can have consequences and in many cases actually will have consequences in our lives. You see... Let's think back to Joshua. Go to Joshua chapter 24. And in verse 19, you have Joshua is, has brought the people. He's led the people into the promised land. And they have set themselves and established themselves in the land. There's still much land to be possessed. Joshua is nearing the end of his life. He's fulfilled his purpose. And so he stands before the congregation of the children of Israel and he's addressing them and he's telling them uh, uh, that they must choose this day whom they will serve. Whether they will serve God or whether they'll serve the, 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 the gods of the nations. And so in laying down this truth and this principle, the people of God say, well, yes, we will serve the Lord. Yes, Joshua, absolutely, we love him. And Joshua says something in response. Now look at it in Joshua 24 verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He'll not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And so Joshua is impressing upon them the, 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 the seriousness, the importance of having to love the Lord and what it means to serve God and that if we're going to serve God then we must do it according to his will, we must do it according to truth, according to his commandments. Because uh, if we say, yes, Lord, but fail to love him and serve him as we ought to, as was revealed, then we will provoke him to anger. And he says, he'll turn on you, he'll consume you. Now, is this just a New Testament, I mean, an Old Testament concept? 
It's not. You'll see that it's, it, what we're seeing here, this characteristic of God carries right through into the church because this truth in this principle is eternal. Now the Hebrew word for, uh, for jealousy is the word kwana uh, or something like that. I don't know how to pronounce it. But listen, it means to be zealous. It means to become intensely red. Remember the flame of fire. Filled with righteous zeal or jealousy. A strong competitive sense. This is jealousy we're defining. Now listen to this. The act of advancing one's rights to the exclusion of the rights of the others. That's in the Hebrew when you look at this, define this particular word, this is how it describes it. Now think about that because God is a jealous God and there's a strong competitive sense because we are his and, uh, and, and he, is, uh, uh, he uh, has purchased us with his blood. And not only that, the act of advancing one's rights above the rights of the others. That's why God says, this is what you will do. This is how you will do it. This is what I expect. You will obey me. And, there's a, and we will yield and we will submit and we will forsake, take up our cross and follow him. And you have all these attributes and truths that you find within the scripture and this is why, because God is a jealous God. One man said, God is not tainted with the negative connotation of the verb jealous, as we would think of it. His holiness does not tolerate competitors or those who sin against him in no single passage in the whole Old Testament is God described as envious. Now let's make that distinction. God's not envy. To envy is to have what something else, somebody else has, to be envious. And so we must uh, um, uh, make that distinction when we talk about envy and jealousy. And so jealousy, in, when it comes to the nature of God, is pure. We understand na- jealousy when it comes to mankind is corrupted. True? We can see sometimes that men can, uh, and, 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 and the, the nature of jealousy as it operates in life, it's not, we look at it with a negative connotation and rightly so in some instances and in most instances because of our sinful nature and our corruption. But you see, it is very important that we understand when it comes to God, it is pure. Notice, have you read, ever, ever read in Numbers chapter 5 what is called, is called the spirit of jealousy? Have you ever read that? And you, you read it and uh, God is laying down a principle and he says, listen, if a, man, a, man, a husband and a wife who are married and if a, if a spirit of jealousy comes upon the, the husband concerning his wife, then he can go to the high priest and, you know, and there's a concoction that's made and she's to drink it and a you know, certain reaction will have on her body, I guess, depending on her, whether she's guilty or not of unfaithfulness. But nowhere does the Bible say that that spirit of jealousy that comes upon the man is negative. Now, okay, I'll give to some of you women and say, you don't understand, my husband's so possessive. Mankind can be, in their fallen nature, irrational, uh, jealous into the extreme where it's uh, overbalanced. I acknowledge those things. But you see, for a man to be jealous of his wife is a good thing. You women should be happy about that. Because that's what God expects. Because you know what, when, we made, when, we got, when a man and a woman got married, they made a covenant and I am his and he is mine. And if there's a spirit of jealousy that for any reason comes upon a man uh, relating to circumstances, uh, then that is a good thing, it's a noble thing. You would expect that. 
And so, again, the reason why I highlight it is to make the emphasis that this spirit of jealousy is being uh, referenced because it is a good, it's not being condemned for men for having it because it's completely consistent with the character and nature of God. Now, let's go a little further this morning and stick with me. Now, jealousy as we looked at before by the definition of the Shulamite in the word of God in Song of Solomon, says a most feminine flame. Now this, this, this reference, for me, as we look at the word of God, highlights what we call the, the, uh, the fire of the Lord. Have you ever noticed when you read your Bible and when Israel is disobeying God, the Bible says that the, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. That flame had burnt. It was a combustion and uh, God was angered. It it became hot because of their disobedience towards him. This was rooted in his jealousy. This is why God got angry in in that sense. And the anger of the Lord was hot because they had uh, sinned against him, because they had, again, practiced various uh, idolatries. Turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. Let me read from chapter 4 and chapter 6 to illustrate this further. In verse 23 of chapter 4, notice that if you look at the context, it's talking about idolatry again. But in verse 23, the Bible says, Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which he made with you. And make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now we are seeing the connection between a, a, a God whose name is jealous and a feminine flame, or as the scripture refers to it, as a consuming fire. And the reason is, is because God's love is so strong for his people. He is jealous for us because he has purchased us with his blood. We are his people. He's paid the highest price and in redeeming us, amen, he demands our obedience and he demands our love and our our submission and our yielding to him. Go to chapter 6, Deuteronomy, verse 14, we see it again in relation to God's cautioning them and warning them against idolatry. And in verse 14 he says, You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. Destroy you from the face of the earth. That's just constrained to the Old Testament, right? You see, this characteristic of God is consistent. Now, what we know is that Israel went into idolatry. Israel did prostitute themselves. Israel came under severe discipline, severe judgment, severe wrath. And uh, who knows, according to my understanding of Scripture, there were, maybe not in our text in relation to what happened there with Moses, where their names were not blotted out of the book of life, but throughout Israel's history, from my understanding, and uh, there were those whose, were, whose names were blotted out from the book of life because of their disobedience and idolatry. 
And so we have this aspect. But now let's turn our attention, if we can, to the New Testament. Isn't it interesting that we've all read it, you read about Jesus and Jesus goes into the temple and he makes a whip, he, he's angry and he begins to turn, overturn the tables and he begins to drive out the money changers and those that are trading in the temple. And why do we see this action? Is we talking about a psychopath? Is he rational? Has he got no control over his anger? I know we as humans are like that, okay? But when it comes to Jesus, he was fully in control. He didn't have a fit of rage. Rather, he said, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Or in other words, my jealousy, the jealousy of God for the, the temple of God that God had created to make it as a place of prayer for all nations, you have corrupted it. And the anger of the Lord was aroused and he consumed them then that moment. And that jealousy that was being manifested at that moment of time was holy, pure and good in the sight of God, of God himself. So, let's look a little bit further in the New Testament. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You'll notice that Paul in in 2 Corinthians is writing, especially around these few chapters, where he's dealing with the false teachers who have come in and they're trying to deceive the, the church with their, their <coughs> with their false teaching and doctrine and Paul is passionate. Paul is, uh, is internally outraged at what's going on. He's burdened for them because he, he sees the, uh, that, that, that you know, Satan transforms himself as an angel of light. He sees that they're vulnerable. He sees that there are people intent on doing them harm and drawing them away unto themselves. And then Paul writes and appeals to them and in, in the best and most sincerest way that he can when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, he says these words, That up on the screen there. I'll read it from there. He says, For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so Paul's showing them the reason why he's so um, provoked in his spirit, so why he's writing to them, why he's trying so desperately to, to minister and speak truth to them is for this very reason because he says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. This is not a human jealousy. This is a godly jealousy. It is born from the very nature of God and the Spirit of God that is within him is compelling him to write this and to act in this manner. And godly jealousy is pure. It is good. Thank God that it exists. And that's uh, what should grip uh, any of us, amen, whether we're, we're uh, ministers of the gospel or if you le ever led someone to Christ. Notice if I've, it happened to me and it's happened to others. You lead people to Christ and then all of a sudden the Jehovah Witness is there. You know what I'm saying? Or the Mormon wants to pop along and, and they want to just mess with their heads. And we get jealous with a godly jealousy. Because we don't want him to, to, to come under that assault. And so we, we, we labour and we pray and we, we reason with them with the word of God. And so godly jealousy is not a bad thing. 
It is a good thing. Let's go to James chapter 4. Again, I'm sure you're familiar with these, but we're going to read them. Now, James is speaking to the church and he's carrying this same thought when he says in verse 4, when he calls them, uh, the, these particular individuals within the church who are, who are proud and are conducting themselves uh, with the contentions and so forth. And obviously he's addressing other issues that relate to their pleasures. But he says in verse 4, he says, Adulterers and adulteresses. He calls them adulterers and adulteresses. This is exactly connected to uh, the Old Testament and how God would uh, deal with Israel in their unfaithfulness and how God would call them adulterers. James is taking the same language straight now and applying it to the church. And he desists it. Adulterers and adulteresses. Listen, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? This is why we can't love... Who, uh, John read it this morning and he opened up. He said, do not love the world or the things in the world. For the things of the world... You know, again, because these are the, this is where the false gods are. These are the things that are competing for our affection and our love and our attention and our time and they drag and they steal our heart from God. And so here he says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now listen to verse 5. Do you not think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Think about that. The very same characteristic we read in Exodus, my name is jealous, I am a jealous God. Here James is writing to the church and he says, do not you understand that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? The Holy Spirit that has been deposited in our hearts, amen, by God. And what we have is a spirit who, who wants full possession of us and our lives and that we would not drift with our affections into idolatry and into the love of the world and forsake our love for God and our faithfulness to God, that we would not be adulterers and adulteresses. And the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. Does that mean we can provoke the Lord to anger? See, God will not yield nor share the possession of his people. We were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which is God's. That's what Paul would say. The expectation's clear. God will not take second place in our lives, church. God will not take second place. He requires our love, our affection and our obedience. We find, again, let's read. I'm just, gonna, I'm just reading these. Obviously, I'm not expounding them, but we're just reading them at face value for what they're revealing to us in the context of which we're looking at it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. In addressing the, fa- the fact that Christians should live by faith and walk by faith, in verse 26, for if we, will, if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. 
Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why? Because once you know the truth, once you know God, there is an expectation. Jesus taught us that, didn't he? To whom much is given, much is, is, is required. We have a revelation of God. The world's in darkness. They are alienated. They have no knowledge. But you see, if we, have, uh, um, uh, if we know these things and then we reject them, how much worse punishment, the scriptures say. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Why is it a fearful thing? Because God is a jealous God. And he expects us to obey him. He expects us to live wholeheartedly for him and to do his will. Go to, again, go to chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. He's talking to the church. The same, the very same things and truths and principles that we find revealed to us first in the old covenant are the very same attributes that are carried through into the new covenant. And therefore it is being highlighted that we would understand our God is a consuming fire. If you look at verse 25 of Hebrews 10, it says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks, for if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more will we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven because we have, there's an expectation that we will obey because our God's a consuming fire and if we fail to and we disobey him and we, and we sin willfully against him as we find in these references, then we are in trouble. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Better to have not known the truth than to know it and not live it is, 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 is in one sense what we're seeing here because there's a greater expectation and responsibility. I want to go to one last reference if we can. And so can you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10. This will conclude these, these thoughts. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Again, just to establish the context, Paul is actually referring to Israel. The Old Testament examples, if you, if you look back at the beginning of chapter 10, you know, all passed through the sea and all were, bat, um, um, you know, were under the cloud and baptised into Moses and so forth. But then God was not happy with such because of the various sins in which they committed and they're listed. And so again, in, chap, in, in verse 14, there's a reference to the fact that they are to flee from idolatry. There's this reference again to idolatry. And so what we have, let me, before I read verse 22, I want to just say that Paul is dealing here <coughs> with um, the uh, partaking of the idol feasts of the Gentiles and the pagans and that the Christian, um, um, this is not to do with food that's been offered to idols, this is, a completely, this is part being involved, you know, this is uh, being unequally yoked in such a way. 
and, uh, and being present and participating. Oh, but, you know, I know what I believe. But, well, then if you do, you don't get, you know, get out of those places, is what Paul's saying. Don't have fellowship with demons. And so, but he's bringing a distinction about the Lord's table and uh, he's talking about the blessings that we have received and that we are in, in, in union with God and we have been purchased by his blood through the sacrifice of Christ and all the benefits that come to us. And so it is incumbent upon us, Paul's trying to, to determine in light of the fact that we are his and we must be holy and we must not uh, um, uh, um, compromise with idolatry in any way, shape or form. And uh, he, he says in verse 16, if you can just look there, he says, the cup of blessing which we bless... It is not the communion of the blood of Christ. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And for we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So in other words, we're the church. We're a distinct entity. We are the people of God. And, we are, and, and, and obviously the communion gives us a reflection of that union. But he's saying, therefore, you cannot participate and be present in these idol feasts of the Gentiles. Oh, I'm just trying to be a good witness. I'm going to go and win them to Jesus. I'm going to go down to the nightclubs and go in there and just, you know, show them my Christian testimony. Oh, are you? <laughs> no, that's called compromise. Right? So, here is Paul saying these things and he's making the fact that they, what they sacrifice, they're sacrificing to demons and not to God. And he says in verse 20, I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. Fellowship with demons? It's possible for Christians to have fellowship with demons? Yep. But Paul says. He says in verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons you cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Look at verse 22. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Paul is saying, listen, you do not want to provoke God to jealousy because if you compromise, if you live and you disobey him, you will provoke him. And he says, are we stronger than he? Absolutely not. I say this all the time. You can't disobey God and win. You never win. Isn't sin so deceitful? We think we can navigate through it and somehow we're going to get to our destination. It doesn't work. When you sin and you compromise, you will provoke God and God will make sure that he will get your attention some way, shape or form because he's stronger than you. He's stronger than me and he always prevails. We never win. But again, do we want to provoke his jealousy? That's the emphasis here. Because you don't want to make God that vehement flame. You don't want to spark that consuming fire where you are in its eye, is what Paul saying. Don't provoke him to jealousy. The provocation of God on the part of the believer who compromises their divine relationship. That's how it works. A man by the name of William Kelly said, Love cannot be sorry, love cannot but be jealous of wandering affections. It would not be love if it did not resent unfaithfulness. And that's that's the point that we're trying to make this morning. 
His jealousy is legitimate. His jealousy is holy. His jealousy is pure. And what's even more interesting and sad is in the very next chapter, Paul talks about the table of the Lord in chapter 10. And you'll find in chapter 11, Paul addresses the Lord's Supper again and their conduct at the Lord's Supper. And they are not treating the Lord's Supper as they ought to and there's irreverence and there's sin that's at work in their lives and in their midst. And so, what has happened as a result of that? Let's look at 1 Corinthians and it says, verse 29, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. He says, For this reason many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. In other words, you're, they're, they're dying. Why? Why is this happening? Because they have provoked the Lord to jealousy. And they are, the, the anger of the Lord is hot against the people and they are being consumed by God. And they are f- falling ill. They are weak. And some are dying in their midst as a result of God's judgment, chastisement. Now, I'm not suggesting here that um, this is related to, you know, as a result of that, they're, they're, they're all lost for eternity. I'm not saying that, and the scripture doesn't say that in this instance. But what I'm saying is, is that, um, although I, I've, again, I'll state my position, I do believe it is possible to be blotted out of the book of life. In Revelations, it talks about it, even though it's talking about it in a different context, context where it's commending the church, and, uh, and so Jesus is, in effect, saying, there's no way I'm going to blot your name out. But the fact that the inference is, is it's possible. And so, again, uh, that, that's my position and I believe that it is in consistent here in the Old Testament as it is being revealed in the New. And, but in this instance, in Corinthians, that's not the case. They're just losing their lives. They are being severely judged and chastised and they are being consumed because God is a jealous God and he is judging them for their sin. He's pr- they've provoked the Lord to anger. And so... In light of all this this morning, what we see in the scriptures is we see, going back to what we first read, where God says, my name is jealous. My name is jealous. I am a jealous God. Now, he's not, he's not neurotic. He's not narcissistic. He's God. He's almighty God. And we must understand that and that jealousy is rooted in the love God is love and his love is so deep so strong towards us and the Bible says we love him because he first loved us and so we, we don't we, when we look at the jealousy of God we have to see his love we must see how much he loves us and in light of that love how can that not stimulate us a love to say, you know what, I need to love him, I need to serve him, I need to obey him, I need to, to give him my all. I need to love him with all my heart, all my soul and all my strength. And in actual fact, we can be zealous for God. In the New Testament, the, word, the Greek word for zeal means to be hot. And that's exactly what God would want us to be, Amen that we would be hot, we would be jealous for the Lord. In the same way that he is towards us, amen, that we would reciprocate that towards him. 
And I tell you, when God sees that, uh, it, it brings pleasure to his heart. And so let us love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. Amen? God bless you this morning.